Hello, my name is Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's topic was sparked by the news of Elon Musk taking over Twitter or claiming he was going to take over Twitter. With Elon Musk, nothing is certain until it happens. However, we went from there into what is the future of social media? How are we going to create, can we can create distributed social media, distributed uh, user interactions, and how will they be monetized and controlled, and who is going to benefit from those changes? This is a fascinating discussion about how we will build human interaction in the future, exactly what 2030, Cloud 2030 is all about. And we really go through both the tech and the societal motivations for these types of systems. Uh, it was fascinating, and I know you will enjoy the discussion. You know, in Toronto, prices are like, how many millions have you got to put down, number one, and how many, how many years will it take for you to be able to buy? So it's just crazy. Austin's in a similar, similar state. Sounds like it. No, no, no thanks to the uh, future owner of Twitter. I <laughs> had <laughs> no doubt. Wait, sure. Is he living in a portable? Why is he affected real estate? He's he's not. <laughs> he's not at all. That's that's a that's a popular myth. Myth. He's living in a very very nice house. Just to be clear, there was a slash s at the end of that sentence. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, oh god the mythology that surrounds him insane he's, he's been very effective at uh, promoting himself it's it's part of his mystique it works he's just a different version of richard branson yeah except he can actually put a rocket into space i know <laughs> <laughs> Besides that, they're exactly the same. Yeah. You know, besides the actually actually succeeding at what he claims to be able to do, it takes a little longer, but he actually does succeed. Yep. Can you imagine how he's going to change Twitter? Uh, yeah. No, as a matter of fact, no, I, I can't can imagine it. I don't know what he's got in mind. Uh, public publishing algorithms, I think, is probably what's in the future, and probably being able to pick the algorithm you want to run to uh, to prioritize and/or um, eliminate things from your feed. That's been a long-standing, um, you know, internet libertarian ideal, and uh, not not necessarily a bad one either. But um, yeah, yeah you might have that popping up other places as well. Same, yeah. same concept. He, he wanted to add the ability to edit tweets, which goes yeah, entirely sure. against the what Twitter, like the foundation of Twitter itself. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see those as reasonable features that would come without his his action. I think in this case, he's much more destructive. Like he's he's his plans are are much more destructive for Twitter. Yes. Well, that that may be part of the reason. He's to, a, he is a champion disruptor. To his yeah. to, to his credit, 
in in some ways, right? You know, landing landing rocket ships back on the ground, and you know, um, you know, robots manufacturing electric cars are he's, he's brought a lot of people forward and stuff. Um, yep. But it's not a pretty process. So if he the blows downside. up Twitter three or four times in the process of fixing it, um, that that could be that would well that would be basically well, in line with well, past work that he's done. So so my question for the group here is Twitter broken? Right. I don't I use mean, it anymore. I, I mean, I have. I mean, I have. I have a Twitter account that I haven't logged into in probably more than ten years. I, I wouldn't I say it's broken. It, it serves its purpose. I, it's just I think the I, it's not the only service now that serves the same purpose. So its its function has been diluted. So, so what is its purpose? I mean, I mean that was the one thing I've always sort of wondered about Twitter is what's the point? Um, Short immutable messages. Which is one of the reasons why, like, if, if Elon get, get, like ends up buying Twitter and and adding an edit button, it it, it completely changes the purpose of Twitter. Yeah, yeah I, like you, you you can't delete a tweet, but you, you can't edit it, and and that I think I think it, so long as the revision history is there, and say you know I'm you know I choose to you know. I mean, I choose to amend statements I make all the time, right? I screw up all Will the time. Will there be a revision history? I, screw up, I don't know about you guys, but I screw up all the time. And I would really like the ability to say, this is, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, I'd like to clarify what I said, right? Yeah, well, uh, and, and, and that is absolutely fine in, in other platforms. And Twitter, on the other hand, that immutability itself has already set some expectations as to if you have published something on Twitter two years ago, like someone digs up your old tw- Twitter tweet from, from, from years ago, they look at an old tweet of yours. They know that you tweeted that and that you, did, and, and that you didn't modify it. So there, there's no chance of whitewashing your Twitter history other than deleting it. Okay, but is that useful? Like, is that what we, I mean, if that's part of the reason why I don't use Twitter anymore. Yeah. Um, so it, if it's a used group, a modern version of a, a, a used group, and I can uh, just share information with more people, and it's a little bit better than the way that Yahoo and some others kind of evolved user groups into, um, then Twitter's useful to me. And it's kind of what I've used LinkedIn now for is to keep in touch with people. Right? But um, And a l- little bit of Facebook. But um, if it's just to uh, poke at people um, and to screech on various topics that you might find important and probably most other people don't, I mean, okay, <laughs> I don't have time for that shit. Uh, hopefully, majority of us don't either. I, if I'm spending, and certainly I occasionally do find myself on Twitter, and generally it's uh, for that kind of feedback. And as soon as I find myself on there. I'm like, holy crap. I get off. Cause it's, um, Sick. that's a, that's a bad reinforcement of behavior. Um, yeah. and I certainly see it in myself. Uh, absolutely. Like 99% of what, of the content that's on Twitter is garbage. So I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to apologize for the, 
content that's there. I'm, I'm trying to make a case for the function of the platform itself. Uh, so like that, like that, there is a use for immutable public posts, particularly when it comes to announcements and, and, and such. Like yeah. as controversial as it was uh, when the when the when when Trump used Twitter primarily for making announcements and public statements, it it did have the benefit of those tweets being immutable. He could delete them. He like he could retract something, but he couldn't edit it. But I mean, people used to call those press releases. Exactly, <laughs> and and again, it, it's it's a public platform for press releases. It's been co-opted for social interaction and and it very badly. Uh, again, content being garbage, but again, like. Trying to make a distinction between content and the function of the platform itself. Yeah, I, I think there's another dimension with this because they're monetizing attention, which means that they that they have Facebook too as an amplification component in here that's tied into their monetization strategy. That I think is is another another and important dimension. So there is, there is a, what you, what you newspapers used to provide this function, but they have editorial control. What we, what we have is we have a company, we have companies. They're not, but are certainly not the only one that uh, monetizes amplifying certain type of information, just like newspapers did, but isn't regulated like newspapers. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I think that there is a societal need or desire to have, you know, uh, amplified information, right? Have some some way that you're like, oh, this is information I want to get. Have it highlighted and amplified and, and brought to you um, through some curation. You know, people can argue Twitter curation curation all the time, but one of the challenges here is that we've seen that the algorithms that these companies use to select what to amplify. Uh, is potentially hazardous. Agree. Oh, absolutely. It can be a very vicious public square. Yeah. With with the challenge of of the to me the monetization is a, is part of the strange amplification because fundamentally these companies are amplifying amplifying the things that draw attention, mm -hmm. which is not how public square actually works. Right. I mean, there's an right. element of. You, you're, you're in public square. There's a big crowd of people. You want to hear what that person is saying. Um, but there's also a self-correcting behavior in that. And we have now have an algorithm that, that tricks us, if you will, into thinking that that's, that behavior is occurring. So that's the same problem the ways with Facebook and, and YouTube and on, on mm -hmm. pretty much all, all social media. Yeah. Correct. One of the ways perhaps to help mitigate this is actually something Musk has uh, talked about as well recently is to uh, enforce um, your real identity so that there's no way to, you know, get rid of the bots because obviously Twitter and, and to a lesser extent, um, Facebook nowadays, but um, they, they enjoy the benefit of using bots for their own means. Um, 
and Alibaba has been famous for this um, over the years and has made billions of dollars off of bots. Um, and if you just got to the point where your identity, your uh, Twitter or your, uh, I'm sorry, your online identity is you and can be verified and is verified as you, and that's the only way that you can post, then, you know, the uh, part, not all, but part of the bad behavior would be uh, staunched. But that, that's one approach, yes. Uh, another one is to uh, to focus more on the personal filtering. Like that, that's actually something that that, that Primal, a company that I worked for years back, uh, was was aiming to do. They wanted to emphasize the long tail of search results. Mm. Uh, and Twitter was one of the platforms that, that they targeted with that. But the real question here, I think, is also, is this first generation of social interaction, Facebook being first, then Twitter, now you know you have so many others that are out there, are they really mechanisms that have outlived their usefulness? And there's an, another iteration of them that may have some moderation or may not be totally algorithmically driven that would suit us in better stead. I mean, there's a lot of people that have migrated into LinkedIn, but LinkedIn itself has changed tremendously in the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, last year it's, you know, I'm, I mean, I used, I mean, I've given up on Twitter. I've, uh, you know, I've 95, 99% given up on Facebook. Um, and, you know, there's been, and LinkedIn has sort of been what I use for professional networking and everything else. But frankly, there's getting to be a lot of crap on LinkedIn too. Yeah. yeah. It also, on LinkedIn. The feel good stories are getting a bit overwhelming. They're kind of nice every once in a while, but mm -hmm. <laughs> it clogs my feed of all these feel good stories that are hawking something. It's just like, uh, come on. Yeah. But, uh, I, I think this is invariably. The combination. It's the combination of both identity and filtering that makes sense to me. There's a reason for anonymity and, you know, in some cases, you know, protection, but that has to be quite evident and it has to be by choice of the recipient to, you know, I'm willing to deal with or watch and listen to something, some source that is anonymous, I'll, I'll make my choices there. But for the most part, um, I absolutely agree that identity is key to all of this. Okay. And um, because it's accountability and responsibility. Yeah. Uh, However, yeah, go ahead. Um, Identity alone is not going to solve this because the platforms I agree. have a conflict of interest. They're, they they want to monetize the, their stream, which which means that they're, they're trying to they're going to do, try to drive engagement, right. which ultimately is going to go against the interests of the users. Which is why you want filtering, and it has to be fairly sophisticated filtering, yep. including. Um, some approach to 
the kind of disclosure of the algorithm that's being used by the platform itself to kind of retain your attention, keep you on the platform. Because there's a there's this third and there's a third party. It's the it's Twitter itself that's you know making its bones on the back of keeping you engaged, keeping you involved. You know, YouTube does it, you know, all of them do it. The the point there is there's a transparency that has to be involved here and the filtering. So Klaus, I, I mean, I completely agree. Identity doesn't solve the problem by itself. So, security I, I night. I did a bit of tech policy research on this, and one of the one of the key things um, that would um, uh, publishing of algorithms, um, identity um, being one of them, because that's one of the reasons I'm on LinkedIn. That um, you know that it tones down people are less likely to post vile stuff and um, act insane if they're you know, doing it associated with their business, basically their online resume. Um, I'm not. But, I'm not sure that that's been validated in the last. Well, <laughs> I, I'm. Yeah, I'm kind of couching that a bit. I just. <laughs> I've seen lots of. I've seen lots of batshit crazy stuff on LinkedIn. Yeah, it's becoming yeah, a brand. I, I, it's becoming a brand identity for politicians. But sorry. Go well, ahead. there's that as well. There, there's that. But, but one uh, other things that oh, could make this a lot easier um, and uh, make it a, a lot more user friendly is to actually um, build out um, essentially a, a data monetization um, uh, settings for each user and essentially uh, allow you to sell your data. Because that, that's the reason most of these companies are uh, stay in business is because they're monetizing your data. The information on you is extremely valuable. And so if you can choose to sell yourself, essentially, um, sell your your personal identity and and your uh, your sales habits and your likes and dislikes and have some control over it and essentially price yourself out on an auction um, of of your information uh, along with everyone else that chooses to do that say you know it's worth it to me to sell my personal identity on Twitter for 60 bucks a year okay you know I'll, I'll put myself out there and I'll be able to see who's using my data and and a little bit of how they're using it and and there you go and then everyone that's on Twitter will better understand, um, you know, how and what Twitter is, is for. And, and it would probably get to the point where Twitter could start um, showing the value and uh, to their, uh, uh, to the users of their data a lot easier because then it would be a, a lot more um, a, of a conscious decision of those that want to sell it. Like the, the people that are influencers, you know, obviously they, they consider their data to be worth tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions. And so they would be able to more directly control it that way. Anyway. So what, I mean, so what you're proposing ahead, is like, Klaus just put it in the chat. I mean, I've, I've actually thought about this. Should you be able to create NFTs of your tweets or of, you know, random things that you publish? Because there really is no way to do it for text. 
it's too long for the standard you know, NFT, the only way to actually do it would be to mint an NFT that links to something, you know, either accessible through a QR or an object on an NFT or whatever. Is there some value to actually, and could you monetize this in a relatively big way to say, here's the NFT of what I'm thinking. If you buy that, you get the rest, right? Here's my... You, mm-hmm. 280 character tweet about the topic. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that, that would be a way of doing it, certainly. Well, I was just talking to somebody at one of the uh, creator uh, NFT companies, and I said, could I use the, the pixel or point category of an artistic work in terms of bytes of text? And they don't know how to do it. I'm I'm sorry, I, I didn't understand the, the question. Okay, so when you when you create an NFT, it has to be a certain size, right? The graphic. So there's a number of pixels in that image at a certain, you know, um uh density, if you will. Could you take that and do a conversion metric for actual ASCII or something like that? So you could get an equivalent number of characters in the space being allocated to a graphic or do you just take your text sure. and put it as a graphic how yeah, do you why do wouldn't this? you i mean it's just a it's just a hack of the protocol i mean why not you just have to have something smart enough to be able to tell the difference between the the bitmap and the and the ascii essentially right and why there not? are converters out there but nobody seems to understand that a, you're actually accomplishing two things. You're taking something that's digital and converting it to another form of digital, which to your point, Sean, is absolutely correct. But then you want to link it to something real, a physical right. object, a piece of paper, a download that's a PDF, which, okay, it's a digital thing, but it's still a thing that you would own. So you're doing two things. You're using text as your vehicle, as opposed to an image. And you're using a physical object in some format, physical or digital, cyber physical, I guess, and going from there. Oh, you could do GPS coordinates or something. <laughs> uh, or like, longitude uh, and lat- latitude. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And there's all kinds GPS. of interesting applications. Yeah, you could have like a Ban- Bansky street art that would only be there for a short period of time and, you know, pop up GPS coordinates and have people show up kind of like what they used to do those, uh, I don't know, the um, scouts kids used to do that for um, probably still do it where they, you know, hide something. You'd have to solve the puzzle to find the coordinates and then you'd have to go on a hike to find it and Mm -hmm. have more information in it. Like an egg hunt, a treasure hunt kind of thing, but with GPS. Anyway, but uh, you know what this all yeah. NFT and this kind of stuff reminds <laughs> me of? It's when my first tech job, I was a uh, Galacticom BBS administrator before I really knew what computers were or really understood what the hell they were. Um, and uh, the value of graphics were pretty high back then because they took a while to move around and then uh, there were restrictions on them. Uh, uh, Notably, because people were trying to push porn around on business 
BBS or their version of porn, kind of hard to have porn in um, that level of graphics. But um, uh, it was interesting back then, graphics had a high value because of their actual size, um, especially what was considered to be high res back then. It's kind of, I don't know, it seems familiar, like we're going back to that in some weird way with NFTs. They have some value because of their exclusivity, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't mean anything, but it just seemed familiar to me. I've officially gone off on a tangent. Well, I mean, the, the, the topic for today was totally different than what we're talking about, which is fine. I, I'd rather have a hearty discussion than, than stick to something we, we planned to talk about a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, I would uh, offer, if people want, we can keep going down this, this path of sort of next generation social media. What would it actually look like? And I think there's a huge element of truth in that it's going to be influenced by blockchain or distributed ledger. Um, like the, actually I, I would, so the topic was, was originally majors and minors continuing, but looking at the Silicon and the, the, the physicality of that, I'm, we're, we're scheduled out all the way through May 19th at the moment. So I'll, I'll push it back to the, to the end of the, um, you know, back, back further in May. Um, I would be super curious to hear, you know, sort of on the topic of, you know, this next generation social media, uh, can, can we turn it away from it being a centralized concept? I mean, so right. Just to put it in perspective before all this noise with Elon and Twitter, Twitter itself was saying, we were looking at building a decentralized platform, um, you know, and, and so I would love to have y'all's opinion on what does that look like? I mean, I, I'm, I'm having, you know, I would love to get, you know, Zuckerberg and Musk or Jack or right out of content moderation. Um, either they need to be responsible for content moderation or they should get out of content moderation. This, this limbo we have right now, I think is, is problematic, but I, I'm having trouble understanding what a decentralized Twitter would look like. Would be like GDPR on steroids, right? I mean, to a certain extent, you'd, you'd have to figure out a generic way of moving data around and this data would, and, uh, and everyone would have to be able to work with everyone to a certain extent. Oh my God. Yeah, the distribution of-, of I, mean, I disagree. What are, are we talking about decentralized um, decentralized access, decentralized storage, or decentralized content? Because decentralized content, we already have it. We, we have IRC channels, we have Discord, Slack, etc. Yeah. Um, now, decentralized uh... storage, on the other hand, is more difficult. We don't have decentralized publication to that. Like, I guess we have RSS. If you wanted to think about it as as RSS, you know. Yeah. Well, I guess technically HTML is via HTTP is. <laughs> I mean, it is publication in a in a way. I mean, anybody can set up a website to a certain extent nowadays. Um, and so it's that kind of sort of is that way. Um, 
but I think it's more of like a GDPR type of standard way of moving something like a generic Twitter or something to that effect, probably larger than Twitter, but um, something like that, being able to move data around so that it can be published and distributed based on different characteristics. And uh, it could be, you know, Right. I, how that works like, and why it works. I, I don't get the business aspects of how that would how, yeah. That's, how that that's would Don's question. And I, I actually think it's worth asking from that perspective. So, I mean, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, whatever the social media, media platform is, they have, I mean, they are businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so as I've learned recently, you know, the world is run by accountants Right. And the, the, has someone who sales channel. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wrapping up my US taxes and learning that the world is run by <laughs> um, The, what's in it for them? By, I mean, it's all very nice and altruistic to speak about, you know, decentralizing the platform and allowing for interoperability and verified identities and all the rest of that. What's in it for them? Yeah. I, I don't think there is. I, I don't see the business side of it because it's data, right? It's well, Uber, Uber's main core of what Uber does and is, is the quality of their data. If they can't get a car to somebody in a certain period of time and be able to know who their riders and drivers are, they can't operate. So if, if they were to lose and they're terrified of this, um, I could explain it in a different conversation, um, how and why, but uh, the value of the data that they have is the core of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I used to, mm-hmm. I used to give a keynote where, you know, I started out with, you know, the most valuable transportation company in the world, you know, owns no vehicles and, and one of the most valuable uh, rental companies in the world, you know, owns no property. Right. 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 So yeah, why I mean, would- you know, so, from that so, it's simply not oh. in Twitter's, Facebook's, or any or anybody anybody's interest who owns that data to give up any semblance of control of it. Yep. What I get the you said the magic word own data. Mm-hmm. What is the what is the what is the issue? What Read the, the issue is here is is ownership and. In the case of data, we're really not talking as much about ownership as we are control of it. So who has control, the, who has rights. No, no, no. Read the how Facebook you, how do you, service. How do you delegate those? And in what cases do you delegate them? In what cases do you retain them? So when you sign up for Facebook and you do the click right. agreement, you agree that anything you post on Facebook, right, is their property. Exactly. Right, which is why, you know, I've had, you know, my wife is, she's an artist and all, all this other stuff and uh, other people I know who are in, it's like, I advise when they talk about Facebook, I say, never, ever post any of your stuff to Facebook because at that moment they own it. Yeah. No, that's why I've, I, I simply do not use Facebook for anything or any Facebook properties. If I can absolute, unless I absolutely cannot avoid it. If and, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the the point there is um, it is a matter of of governance of the data. It's the fact that 
you, you know, ownership is kind of a, a crazy thing when it comes to, to data. What do you own and how do you treat it economically? If you say this is, this is data, the data about me is something that I own, it's closer economically to labor. It's something that I, you know, commit and I utilize as a, as a means of, you know, gaining some economic or, you know, some, some benefit to. I have the ability of transferring some rights, partial, partial use. I can, I can talk about delivering terms of use to either a middleman or, you know, a, a consumer of this data. But without having those kinds of concepts built into the whatever, if it's de- if it is in fact decentralization, you know, decentralization does not make for anything useful. In this particular case, what you probably have is something closer to a union, a co-op, a collective where a fairly significant community decides, yeah, we're going to do something like a decentralized Twitter. And the, uh, the utilization, the, the, the benefit of doing this is going to end up being um, shared among the community. And it becomes something like a, it really does become a co-op, becomes a collab- collaborative and cooperative organization. The notion that I'm going to be individually compensated with, you know, for every time uh, a marketeer uses my data. I mean, right now that's such a tiny fraction of a of a cent. Every time Axiom sells my name, address, phone number, you know, you'll you'll be making six dollars a year, you know, but. Collectively, that results in a very, very large amount of money if it is focused on things like infrastructure, um, various kinds of of public policy. I can see it being used in that fashion. So, you know, it's it's interesting because I look at it from two points of view. One is if you look at the business model of the content delivery networks, and I'm not talking about Netflix in particular, but if you look at them, they are using decentralized architecture. The whole idea is, you know, whether whether the metaverse version of that or the blockchain version of that is going to be like Filecoin where it's peer-to-peer or it's going to be some esoteric blockchain itself, Mm -hmm. the model of the content delivery network is the same as what you're describing. That is. Right? So there is a way to monetize that, whether it's in the infrastructure of it, whether it's in the licensing of the content, you know, that you're charging a fee for putting it out there, whatever it is. That's only one aspect. Question, Joanne? Yes. You made a statement about it looking exactly like a like a content, like a CDN, and There's, there is a there is a, a locus of control, a centralized locus of control in the CDN, 
yes, it, the the topology of the of storage and compute and so forth is distributed, but yeah. How do you get? How do you claim the? How do you claim the similarity of a CDN and kind of the the notion of a of distributed governance as opposed to distributed topology? Okay, so I said that there were two ways to look at it. From the content delivery point of view, I see the business model of it. And yes, it is centralized control. But if you took that governance and control and decentralized that aspect, then if if I looked at everybody on this call and I said, you're each a node in, in this little nodem, um, at some point I could, I never would, but I could say, Rich, I no longer trust your node. Whatever is on there, I'm disconnecting you off everything else around because you don't want to pay me your licensing fee or whatever, whatever, for whatever reason, I somehow distrust your node. That's the other side of it that you could actually take the centralized control, break it out and have trusted relationships with the others where you could or could not choose to trust them. So I see that as a middle ground. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but I do see it emerging in certain areas. Um, there was a case not long ago, and I can't really reveal the parties, but where uh, fintech was actually going to disconnect a bank because of the way the data, the, the, the personal information was in a very gray area, very close to non-compliance. And so because they were worried about getting burned, they chose to physically disconnect from that other entity. And so this case was the bank in question. It was the bank. It was a it and it's a fairly large U.S. bank Um, just because of the way they chose to interpret their compliance and their regulatory and whatever. But. It, it highlighted for me the issue of this trust relationship and to the point about identity and, you know, governance and, and everything else. The one issue that we haven't discussed other than in a technical way is the security around that data, because even the security of the metadata is at risk. And I'm not talking about hacking. I'm talking about the misuse and misrepresentation of that data and the way it's being sold in absolutely arcane and obtuse ways. And people are profiting from it without your knowledge that unless you did a really, really deep dive into your own, you know, digital footprint, you would never know about. Right. Yeah. It's the basis of a federal court case right now that uh, is uh, very public and ongoing of how DNS metadata was misused back in 2015, 2016. So, uh, but the thing that I wanted to bring up um, that uh, one of the things that could very easily change uh, and and maybe this is a political thing rather than a a technical thing uh, that that implements this change is that the the scope of uh, PII um, gets expanded to include your data um, that's attributed to your um, your person and your your uh, your habits and your behavior um, becomes PII 
uh, much like how medical information has become, uh, you know, over time Basically used to be the, protected. Yes. Yeah. And it used to be that medical information was the property of the doctor and or hospital. And now it's yours and you can actually go and demand it and, and take it places. That is, you know, a new thing. So if that simple change happens, then all kinds of new business behaviors pop up where basically they start catering to the customers, which essentially we build a new class of customer, which would be the owner of the data, each individual. They'd have to figure out how to scale that, obviously, because you know they can't deal with billions of customers individually. But, but nevertheless, it would change behaviors um, and it would make... Um, individuals more personally responsible, at least capable of managing, um, you know, what their data is uh, worth and, and uh, the behavior of it. Mm. Where right now it's, it's kind of inching towards that um, stuff like Mint and other services that move your data around your financial data. Cause obviously that has a huge amount of value and uh, they run advertisement off of that. And, um, but uh, you know, the, that simple fix, which the FTC, I think, would probably be the, the right place to do that, might, with a change in U.S. administration um, and or uh, Congress, um, might force something like that. And it actually has been debated um, in various congressional offices um, of both parties, you know, the major parties in the U.S. So that, that might be coming soon. In, in, interestingly, you're bringing up one of the points that that I had on on why decentralized from a while back, which is different than where where y'all have gone so far. So I'll, I'll throw it throw it in. If you took the and the U.S. is not moving very quickly on this, but other jurisdictions like Europe are potentially, and the the idea of misinformation and propaganda spreading on these platforms is is a threat to the to governments. Um, but in some ways, uh, the wealthy people who own these platforms have their own motivations for having, not having their speech interrupted by the government or by government regulation. And I think that we, cause we were asking, what's the profit motive Don, this comes back to your statement. And we had a really interesting, uh, question, you know, about, about that. I think there is potentially an element where people are funding these platforms as a way to bypass uh, controls on um, speech that they perceive as as coming down, um, and so I I think that while there is an element of you know profit motive, but there's plenty of money made from this generation of the platforms that company some people who are trying to protect the wealth they've created or have other agendas for promoting. Um, Un, unsent, un, unedited speech um, have motivations for platforms to be brought up that are outside of uh, that purview. Does that make sense? I'm, maybe I'm being too direct. Facebook and Twitter are facing regulation. And At least in the, in the U.S., we have a long-standing history of incredibly wealthy individuals owning, you know, a source or a Forms of own, publication, their own propaganda machines. That's cool. Yeah, so it, this is. I mean, it it actually even happened before the country existed. You know, there was you know um, individual sheet newspapers and stuff they put out is pretty crazy. Um, so I'm not sure. It, 
uh, I'm not sure we have a way of limiting speech in any way that would make sense by, to the population at large um, because of our history and um, the kind of propensity of how I, we think. But um, I think the other way is to enable, I mean, if it, I don't know how it would be monetized, but if we, if we could get to the point where we had some sort of GDPR for uh, um, thoughts and, and works that could be um, moved around by some decentralized source, you know, I, I think it's technically possible, but if you can't make money on it, you know, who's going to support it? The government or, you know, that, I guess. I, could maybe I mean, we're, we're, we're seeing a, we're, we're seeing know. a time because the, the public airways, and there was a time that all of us remember where broadcast media was actually controlled by the government, mm-hmm. at least from an objectivity perspective. And there was, there was requirements, right? A license. The rise of cable yeah. and bypassing the, that uh, basically has you know, created uh, cable television outlets that were outside of that purview. And then social media has been completely outside of that editorial purview. But I, I do believe that there's public interest in some, you know, as, as the, as the new public forums riding on public, what, what people think are public networks, um, that there's a degree of, um, of some type of need for, you know, fair and balanced or, you know, Mm. non-propaganda. And and I, I, but I I see some of this is actually a, oh, we're going to create systems that don't, you know, that, that once again, bypass the moderation needs. Cause I think that there's, um, a lot of money to be made or political power to be gained in having systems where you can say whatever you want, right? Well, the, uh, I, I also this point, it's the Chinese system. You have to, there's a social credit system that, that gives you the ability to have certain rights um, based on your, red, your, your rating and your ability to publish is controlled by the government. You can't create a website in China without a license. Um, there's pretty much everything else that, you know, we consider to be uh, uh, free or um, user driven. Um, you have to have a license for that. And it's very easily taken away by the social credit score. So if you jaywalk, <laughs> your website could be taken down in, in that very simple way. So the, the managing it which, which in a generic way rise to centralization and essentially authoritarian control, whether it's government or a company. So there's that risk. The other side of that coin is also, like if you, if you do start out with fair uh, regulation and, and governmental control, mm-hmm. you still risk regulatory capture. Uh, and then you throw away the benefit of the regulation. This, these yeah, are, this, this is the nature. This, this is the dilemma that I find myself in when we when we're talking about this. I I believe right that the power of people to disseminate ideas and the you know their truth and things like that are in, should be incredibly powerful. And the last several years in social media have shown us how much that people can put their thumb on the scale right. um, in that. Uh, Maybe Starlink and other systems like it is is ultimately the solution uh, for for everything. If you just make it so that the there are no controls 
and um, buyer beware, and you focus all on the the consumer. You know, all our focus on the consumer of information and data, and the the rest of the network is just wide open. That, that brings us back to back the to the need to filter out the, the garbage. Yeah. Yep. But that's to a certain extent. I mean, when you think about it, uh, Starlink. Yeah, I have brought it back to Musk. I didn't mean to, but um, <laughs> the, um, Starlink, the ability for um, satellite uh, network um, communication devices to be shot into a war zone has contributed greatly to um, that to the outcome of that war, that ongoing war. Uh, their ability to do command and control using Starlink systems made it possible for their most effective anti-tank systems to actually function. Without it, those systems don't work. Um, so, uh, right. and one of the, you know, some of the first things obviously the Russians did is to try to cut all their communications. And um, there's other long-term, uh, long longer tail uh, conversations about how the Russians do command and control, but um, but it's pretty interesting that that's, I mean, if there was a couple things to, to focus on, Starlink was huge. So kind of interesting how that's, I mean, it does come down to that it, to a certain extent. If you, uh, you know, wartime, I guess you would figure out what's really important. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's an interesting takeaway that we are, we are definitely in a wave of decentralization these systems without question yeah no yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> i love the disagreement good no i no because i mean i'm seeing it more and more and more it's it's whether it's you know web3 tooling uh metaverse related meaning more graphically related but decentralization and also the resurgence of peer-to-peer -peer. yeah well, highly Bitcoin distributed I mean, it wouldn't exist if that people weren't moving that way or trying to move that way. All right. But I guess we the question are... that I have is how long will it take before, I mean, the there's a huge upside to decentralization, but how long will it take before retail or consumer-focused industries start figuring out that the, the way to get as close to your customer or rather their data is by going that route because latency counts mm. more than, and so does proximity because the shortest distance between two points is a straight line or in the air. I'll leave that to Rob to figure out. You can do the calc on that, but yeah. irrespective, the closer you are to your customer and the faster you can react, the, the bigger the business value there will be to doing it. The only way to do that is either highly decentralized or highly distributed. Yeah, Facebook ran into this problem with Libra. <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, they, they threw up their hands and gave up because they couldn't figure it out. It's a hard problem. Um, then why is Discord being problem, successful? Are you saying that the problem was a technology problem, Sean? Uh, it's a hard problem because they couldn't figure out they they wanted to move money around on their system and to get a cut rather than having to pay a third party and they couldn't figure out how to yeah, they make trying, it work. 
they were trying to replace a, a set of intermediaries that are now being used. Yeah. And they, they couldn't make it work in, in partially because they kept getting in their own way, trying to figure out, you know, are we going to be our own country? Are we going to have our own uh, form of currency? Yeah. I mean, this and is this on their part. This is the job of the central bank. So, yes, but I, I think it does lead to it. It does. It's an interesting case study and uh, a large part of what we've been discussing of why Libra didn't work. And, you know, it imploded. For a lot of different reasons, I, I wouldn't say that's the job of a central bank, Rich. I would say it's the job of an exchange. Um, because, because it's well, cross jurisdiction. It, it, it is well if you have an exchange that is across jurisdictions. I you know I buy that, but what Libra was trying to do was take a lot more responsibility than you know, being an exchange, if you said the only way you could use an exchange is if we have a canonical representation of value that is used by the exchange and everything has to be converted into that, because that's basically what what they were trying to do with Libra. All right. So, time out. We're, we're out of time. So it's a good question. I need to figure out yeah, how to make that. Into a I, topic I, for a future. I, I think I understand what Klaus is getting at, but um, I get your point too, Rich. So. Yeah, it's a good it's a good it's a good conversation to continue. Is there, is there a simple summary that we can use as a seed for a future conversation? Libra and why DAO is broken. <laughs> well, yeah. How's that for controversial? Mm. D-A-O? Uh, the this the concept behind it. Concept behind DAO, yeah. The, like it, it, uh, it's, it's a it's a wider discussion into cryptocurrencies and, and, and jurisdiction and whether they're actually uh, like fiat equivalent or like uh, securities equivalent or, or or what. You know, it gets there. There, there are any number of rabbit holes that we can go down in that one. So, um, it's my my attempt at humor of saying, you I, know, computers are great except for the humans that use them. Uh, <laughs> bless you. All right, everybody. I, yeah. I, I'm gonna try and figure out a topic, but we're already scheduled into June, so I'm gonna let us stew on that one. Good December uh, topic, then. Thank you all for the robust conversation. Um, I, I'm actually really glad we went down this because I think it's I think it's very topical. So thank you. I learned a lot. Good fodder for holiday conversations. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. In between pages of the uh, Haggadah, I'll be uh, dropping hints here and there. Uh, we just added a few of the few more questions to the Seder, right? Yeah. No, it's just another Dayenu. <laughs> <laughs> and the fifth child asked, why does Elon Musk do that? <laughs> no, okay. oh. actually, it's, that's Eliyahu's question. Oh, so Musk's next child might be an NFT. Instead of giving him a name. Oh, there you go. NFT address. Guys. So now we have KYC standing for Know Your Child. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. cheers, guys. Oh, dear. Oh, I'll be all
Wow. This is the type of discussion that we do 2030 to have. Deep tech, society, government, com- commercial interactions, um, and, and pulling those things apart are the essence of, of what these roundtables are about. Uh, this was a really great one with a lot of voices and a lot of input, but it could be better with your voice in it. Please join us at the 2030.cloud. Be part of these conversations. Bring your insights and your questions. We want to hear them. Uh, that's what makes these, these roundtables so amazing. Um, please come in. I will see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.